in this new way of working, we have that opportunity, all of us, to be much more fluid, design our day, not just our, what we place on bottles and cans and identities, but actually design the way we'd like to work. And we started this call talking about the Industrial Revolution and our parents, grandparents in mills and factories. And now what those mills and factories will look like will be far more fluid, as you say, co-creating together and delivering, importantly, great work. Great work that brands need more than any other time in history. They need to stand out, but also giving opportunities to people who are not in the most expensive cities, zip codes. Let's embrace that and put together teams that just can all come together and create amazing work for progressive and great brands. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by James Somerville. Now, James' story is anything but straightforward and conventional. In fact, it started for him as a pavement artist, unemployed in the north of England. But then he was a lucky recipient of the Prince's Trust charity, which helped him start his journey into entrepreneurship. He co-founded Attic, a design agency in the attic of his friend's room. They went on to inspire thousands of designers across the world. And eventually, Coca-Cola came knocking. He became the VP of Global Design and led design innovation and identity programs for many billion-dollar iconic beverage brands to see the world in a different way. And now he's doing something even more different, creating Known Unknown, the world's first decentralized design community. It's a fascinating story, and he's so many great nuggets to share. So before we dive into what he's doing today, let's take a look at how it got started for James. As a young, I wouldn't even call myself a creative at that point, a teenager, a little bit lost, <laughs> not really that academic at school, but I could sketch, I could draw. But also I think that the town that I grew up in, you mentioned I'm a northern lad, I'm from Huddersfield in Yorkshire. A hundred years earlier, that was a, a centre, and many other towns in the area and and across the UK were centers of innovation. They were almost the Silicon Valley in many ways of Europe, producing this forward-thinking machinery, industrial revolution. Yeah, yeah. And when I was growing up, it was kind of like not a graveyard, but it wasn't, it was not what it used to be. Of course, none of us experienced that 100 years ago. So it's kind of, I was almost in the shadows of what was once great. And I was always thinking about why, what happened and why, what happens next? I know that's weird as a teenager, but that was one thing that was on my mind. Yeah, no, history, I think, is, that was actually one of my favorite topics, learning lessons from the past and not making the same mistakes or doubling down on the things that worked. Actually, it was one of the biggest inspirations to writing on Learn. You know, when you're ever looking for topics, you either go to biology or history to get these, like, nuggets. And the one I found were the Romans, and one of the unique innovations that the Romans brought to the world is whenever they engaged other cultures, when they found practices that were better than their own, they let go of their existing practices and incorporated the new skills into their systems of operation. So they actually created a culture that allowed them to both learn new skills and unlearn old skills and grow actually essentially their 
presence as a result. And that really fascinated me even when I was writing on Learn. So I think there's a lot to be said about like history and thinking about why are we in the current state? What led us to here? What were the mistakes maybe that we need to learn? And what are the things we're going to do differently? And it's great when you're in sort of, like you say, this sort of place of innovation, the beginning of the industrial revolution, like one of these great seminal inflection points in human society. And then you're, you're walking around looking at these empty buildings that are desolate. Why? What happened? Right. It's a really interesting way to think about the world. I mean, I look back now and think that was a blessing as a teenager, because at the time I'm just crawling through broken windows in a, in a mill, you know, with a few mates, and maybe we're just going to hang out and just cause some trouble in a sort of like low level trouble way. But actually now looking back, you're like, okay, those were cathedrals of industry and innovation. And, and what does that look like tomorrow? I only grasped that concept maybe 10, 15, 25 years after, but it's important to have that fabric around us wherever we grew up to remember that. So you're, you made a big splash even from the beginning, right? When you started your agency, even in Huddersfield. Tell us a little bit about what even got you on your entrepreneurial journey in a way of actually saying, well, hang on, I'm going to start building a business to follow something that I'm interested in, be that design. I grew up with a father who was very entrepreneurial. We were either up, we were down. I think I'm in my 26th house right now as an adult, but I think as a kid, we moved. We moved every time the rent man came. And when things were good, things were good, but you know, and then we turn a corner. So there was something about that constant change that kind of fueled me. But when I saw my parents being really in control to the extent that they could be in control as 1970s, 60s, 70s, 80s entrepreneurs, but just having that sort of like ability to be able to make decisions, I kind of got, it was fueled by that as well. And, you know, I started life, my unprofessional career as a street artist, chalking on streets during art college. And then at some point we just decided age 18 or 19, we need to come off the streets, not sustainable. It's quite interesting rubbing the ground or concrete for four years that, you know, 18 years old, you have no fingerprints, which for an 18 year old could be quite useful, but <laughs> it didn't feel like we would, uh, it would take us down the right path. But we had to bite for that sense of being able to do something and make people smile as they walk past our artwork on the street. Yeah, no, it's like one of the most special things. They're like little gifts as some of the greatest artists. For me, it's almost like a little prompt or a reminder of what's going on in the world. You know, something that you catch on the corner that somebody made and stops and makes you think. Very lucky to live in a lot of great metropolitan cities over the years. And that was always one of my favorite things to do is just to go walk the streets and find some of these little prompts that somebody has left for me to just challenge my thinking as I'm wandering around the world. It's a fun way to create. Building that into the studio, the studio like took off. Next thing, Jumping lots of lessons here, probably, but suddenly you've got Coca-Cola ringing you up to say, hey, um, looks like you're doing some stuff that could be helpful for us. Talk us about how you go from losing your fingerprints because you're out there in the middle of the night making things that maybe shouldn't be all over the world to an agency and then probably one of the greatest brands on the planet tap you on the shoulder and say, come and help us. Well, I think the call from Coke was interesting because we weren't expecting it. That was around about 2006. We'd already been in business 20 years, actually. So I know the old, the expression, we were an overnight success. 
yeah. because it's one of yours, you know. So there was a little bit of that going on, but I think we were always interested in experimenting as a design kind of project. We produced a lot of design books in the 1990s, print, when print was print, and really started to push the technology of first, second, third generation Apple Mac or Photoshop or some of those early software and hardware. So for us then, I think Coca-Cola, that built a reputation for our agency, Attic, which we started, Simon Needham and I started in my grandmother's Attic bedroom. And so Attic had this, they had these books that were published and pushed out as far as we could. But then in the 90s, it was our Instagram feed. It was our LinkedIn feed. It was our TikTok. It was everything and our business card. So for us then, and I think Coke, somebody at Coca-Cola must have found a copy of our books called Noise and felt, wow, this seems progressive from a graphic design perspective and gave us a call around about 2006 and invited us to a pitch, which was a great honor. I can tell you that story, but that was an incoming call that you don't receive that often as a small design agency, quite honestly. The lesson I keep hearing in these stories is putting yourself out there putting your signal into the world. So maybe at that time, the format was to print it, push it out there, as you say. Today, the formats have changed, more digital-based, right? So whatever they are, your Instagram, your TikToks, whatever. But there's something to be said about that. If you put your work into the world and people finding it in the most unexpected and surprising ways, people struggle with that sometimes. How to be your authentic self and share especially as a designer, right? You put your heart and soul into these things. It's as much you that you're putting out to the world for critique as anything. And helping people sort of get over that hump to put their work into the world is it's really interesting. And you say like, you want to share a little bit about the phone call you got. So what were you like when that phone call came in? What were you thinking there? It's a couple of you just working away on this and suddenly you've got a pitch in front of this huge global organization. What were some of the fun anecdotes that went down? Well, actually, the incoming call, I was on holiday and my wife said, don't bring your phone to the beach. This is a holiday. So I was like, okay, that's cool. But I actually snuck it. Snuck it in. (laughs) This is how old it was. It was a Blackberry. All right. So it was powered for six weeks on one charge. So it was fine. And at one point, maybe she went for a swim or or somewhere and I could hear it buzzing. So I'm like, okay, I'll just have a quick peek. And it was a gentleman at Coke who was just like, hey, James, Attic, hello. We're looking for an agency who would like to help us define the visual language for Coca-Cola and football towards the end of 2006. So the World Cup had just finished, just Mm. finishing in Germany, 2006. And Coke were already thinking about the next Euros, the next World Cup, and we're reaching out to shops that might be interested in participating in a pitch. So, of course, I took the call, so to speak. But the wait came around, maybe, who knows, I would have read the email later. And we were on our third, fourth iteration of our work before we, we felt we landed it. And we did win the pitch, so that was a great uh, accomplishment. But Working for a brand like Coca-Cola, when you're a creative, we think we know these brands. We do, because they've been in our lives, all our lives. 
So as a designer and we know a brand like Coca-Cola, let's just do our thing, put our fingerprint on it. But I soon learned that at a brand like that, it's not designing your way, it's designing the Coca-Cola way. So there's a big lesson there for all designers when they're working with great brands, iconic brands, is not to put too much of yourself in, put enough in that makes it special and interesting, but remember that they're rooted in the familiar and that's what consumers also want as well. So early lessons working for a brand, a great brand like Coke. So one of my favorite things about great innovation is working within constraints. And I feel like there's similarly what you're sort of alluding to here is that there are some design constraints that force you, that you have to play within some sort of boundary and yet express yourself in a unique and different way. What's your process to sort of work that problem? Because one of my most favorite pieces of your work, so listeners who will maybe will see a photo later, is that you created this beautiful use of the Coke word, but it says love. And when you look at the can, you think you read Coke, but it actually, it says love. It's literally, I love it. How did you sort of work your way within those constraints to actually create something like really unique, but yet still resonant where anyone who has ever seen it will be like, oh, I know exactly what that is. Yeah. When you use the Spencerian Coca-Cola script to spell another word, which incidentally had never been used by the company. Sure, we could all buy a t-shirt and you can see the Coke script, but as a piece of communication or marketing, or in this case, packaging, so we had to, we worked on the type, of course, we had to craft it the same delicate use of as if it was the original Coca-Cola script. So we had to respect that form. And then there was a second or third or fourth, but, you know, actually pushing this past our legal team, the lawyers, the people who are in charge of IP, that in itself was a creative challenge. And our pitch was the word love in the Coca-Cola script. So the word love is part of maybe the DNA of a brand like Coca-Cola. Sure, happiness and positivity. But if you peel those away, humanity and love. So even in 100 years, that word would still be relevant to the brand. It's not a fashion word for the next two years or the next two, five years. It's a thousand, thousands of years old. So we pull them over to our way of thinking both strategically from a brand narrative, if you want to call it that, a narrative perspective, part of the purpose of the brand, but then executionally crafting that reference to love. And then as you say, as it's then on a can, our minds just see the script and the red and the rest, we fill in the detail within seconds. So we know it's a Coke can. We're not reading Coke at that point. We're just kind of playing back patterns in our mind and we know it's Coca-Cola. So it was a great project to work on and, and very fast between the sketch, the legal approval, the crafting, and then it was in the market. It was in market, in the consumer's hand within 11 days, which was very different to the way a giant organization like Coke normally operated to put product in market. That in itself is fascinating. So much of product development in my world is this notion of iteration, shipping it and getting it into people's hands, getting feedback and improving it. Some of the risk even of what you're proposing is like, it's not like this just goes on one can to the corner store and one person sees it. This thing goes on to millions of cans that people are going to open the next day. 
how do you manage that? Because that's a huge like risk sometimes that people will feel like they're taking when they, they launch to millions of people. What gave you the confidence to say, you know what, this is something unique that gave you high conviction to back that design and get it live in 11 days? That's not a lot of processing time for many people. And to get people on board with an idea to say, yeah, let's commit to this. Let's have conviction for it. What gave you the confidence to advocate for it and get people on board with something like this? Because that's hard. Being an outsider coming into a corporate. So when we launched Attic at age 19, Simon and I wanted to think big, look big, act big. You know, we were naive, young and, and on that first journey. And I thought when I arrived at Coca-Cola, what could I do that this great brand has never done before? in 125 years or so when I arrived. And I flicked the switch. I said, we're going to think small, act small, move like a small startup. One of the things I'm most proud of, of bringing to the Coca-Cola design and innovation team was less about the things that appear on packaging and product and billboard. And we talk about the what's and the how's. It's how we did it, how we changed the way we work. To be this small outsider, coming from the north of England, actually, you can bring so much to a large organization in, the, in a more entrepreneurial kind of startup kind of mindset. To be an entrepreneur, to have your own business in any category, you have to be brave. You have to wake up every day and take on the world. So I like to think that I brought a little bit of that spirit into Coke at the time when it, when it was much needed. And that particular piece of packaging and many others, we managed to turn into a successful, memorable piece that will show that a brand like Coke is still progressing, still innovating. And I think it was our responsibility to do that while we were there. Yeah, no, I love it. One of the mantras of the book of unlearn is think big, but start small so you can learn fast what works and what doesn't. And I just love when people also think about the innovation about how we work and the way teams work can have such a profound effect to get some of these outcomes, right? And it's interesting as just an observer, even of that brand, it's nice to see these like little innovations that continue to pop out of the company, right? That keep, keep sort of happening. And they started to personalize people's names on the cans. Little things that feel like they're small, but they have such profound effects. And it keeps a brand like that alive, keeps people interested, but stays true to what it's about. So yeah, it's fascinating to hear that. I think so. I think on that. People would, in the last decade or 15 years, have talked a lot about design thinking. And thanks to great agencies like IDEO, other people who have wrote the book on that in the modern day. I would say that Coca-Cola has been design thinking since 1886. Maybe it wasn't sort of crystallized and documented in a process, but this idea of constant innovation, if you look back over large organizations like that today, in different fields of food and beverage and technology and transportation, there are moments in their history where they're constantly driving innovation. They may be seen today as kind of older school, but their track record of innovation is inspiring. And I always look back to fuel our thinking look, looking forward, to not forget that innovation from the past as well, not to repeat it and go down memory lane, but to use that as a kind of a, this is how we all arrived here. This is why we're all here. Now, what do we need to do while this brand is in our hands to set things forward for the next generation who will follow us. Yeah, no, I love it. So you're like, here we are now yourself and your next iteration again. I think the first time we'd met, you were in the 
right in the midst of creating known unknown, which is this idea of creating a whole platform. And tell people a little bit about way that you wanted to redefine or create this new creative economy, because for me, I think this is going to be one of the most exciting shifts in terms of ownership, especially for creators of their content, how they can share it, how they can monetize it, how they can actually really be recognized for their work, especially in the Web3 worlds that we're you know, on the precipice of. So tell us a little bit about what inspired you to get back then to say you'd been in Coke, you wanted to found again. What were the triggers that were going off in your mind to say, it's time for me to get back and do something different here? Well, I think I was at Coca-Cola in 2018. I'd sort of crossed the five-year line and things were great. But I was seeing, it's interesting being on the client side of a table and seeing agencies. After I'd been pitching for 25 years as an agency, the business development, I was all, all of a sudden on the client side. So I was studying the agency model. I was realizing then that we had an opportunity. We wanted to share it between three agencies, no names mentioned, but there was a resistance. And I'm like, wow, when the brand is more thinking more creatively than the creative agency, that's one potential problem for great output, but two, what a massive opportunity to rethink how that traditional classic, amazing agency model and structure works. Why do they not want to collaborate? And this is way before I even understood what decentralization, Web3, the meta was not on my mind at that point in 2018. I was just thinking of models that would allow for talent to come together, collaboration, co-creation. And so that's when I decided to move on from my time at Coca-Cola to think about that potential new model that really didn't seem to be, everybody talks about what's the problem you're trying to fix. Well, it didn't seem to be there at that point. So it was a light bulb moment for me thinking, I want to step back out and see if I could explore something that felt relatively new, no playbook. (laughs) I wasn't copying anything at that time, but I just wanted to go out and see whether I could actually just almost invent or create something with other people. It's funny, right? I think sometimes these aha moments driven from sort of visceral experience you almost had, where you're looking at these different pitches, these different teams, and like you can see that the ideal outcome is like a little bit from here, a little bit from there, a little bit from this other party, and wow, we can actually create something stellar. And then yet the existing world or mindset is like, no, sorry, that's not the way we play the game. That's not the way we do work. And it limits. And what I keep finding now, and this is what's really passionate for me, is that you're describing this in the context of a business, talking to other agencies to create a product, whatever it might be. I think we're in a world now where the notion of company starts to fade away. It's like projects that people want to work on and contribute to. And the notion of that you work for one company or one agency starts to disappear because people want to work on things that they're passionate about, multiple things that they're passionate about. So can you start create constructs where if you're clear on what the mission is, the purpose of what you're trying to create, and you can draw people in to contribute to that in a fractal or small way or the hours that they have available, be it five hours, 10 hours, six hours, and they're rewarded for those contributions that they make towards that project. 
I get the essence that for me, that's what the whole Web3 world is about. And we can digitize all of that because you can codify what the purpose of the project is in a smart contract or a DAO, decentralized organization. And then you can tell people these are the activities that need to happen to bring this product or project to life. And individuals can sign up to contribute to these pieces and contribute to earn, play to earn. All of the power here where you suddenly now have a global community that can rally around something they're passionate about, commit to it, contribute to it, and own a piece of what they're creating instantly. That pattern is mind-blowing for many people about how they can actually take part in that system. You don't have to have a work for one company and be stuck there for what opportunities. Every little minor detail you contribute, you can be recognized and rewarded, be that in a coin or a token or a share, but equity, ownership in the thing. So if you're contributing to it and it takes off, the people who did the work are rewarded. It's not just the executive team that are paid out. That's a huge inspiration for us at Nobody Studios, right? creating that system to foster real collaboration, real contribution from all over the world. And it was one of the things that resonated straight away when you started to describe known unknown to me. So tell us a little bit more of the focus of that sort of mission, if you will, and how you sort of brought in this community of designers who care about that mission to create something way more together than any individual would be creating on their own. Yeah, no, and the name known unknown, let's start there. The purpose for me was, and we did, I did this at Coke, I did this at Attic. What about the unknowns out there? What about that talent that's working right now in a bedroom, in a coffee shop, in a dorm somewhere, or in the park? How can we give the, quote, unknown talent an opportunity to work on known brands, known projects, known identities, and create a stage for this talent and shine a light on that talent in order for them to grow? individually, maybe financially, but beyond that, the opportunity to collaborate with them, for them to network with new teams. So known and known at the heart of it was to really kind of put these two opposites together, put the Coca-Cola or the Ford Motor Company or the Kellogg's with a young or seasoned typographer working from his or her bedroom. And they would have never had the opportunity to engage with such a giant organization, too many layers, too many agencies, too much red tape, insurance, whatever it may be, contractual, you know, not an approved vendor and all this kind of, so how do we overcome and and bring down those barriers? And as you say, in in this new way of working, we have that opportunity, all of us, to be much more fluid, design our day, not just our, what we place on bottles and cans and identities, but actually design the way we'd like to work. And we started this call talking about the industrial revolution and our parents, grandparents in mills and factories. And now if, if we jump forward into the next generation, not the past generation, what those mills and factories will look like will be far more fluid, as you say, co-creating together and delivering, importantly, great work. Great work that brands need more than any other time in history. They need to stand out, but also giving opportunities to people who are not in the most expensive cities, zip codes, agencies. They could be working and living on a farm at the seaside by a lake. That's all fine. Let's embrace that 
and put together teams that just can all come together and create amazing work for progressive and great brands. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. These models sort of have existed in different forms, I think, through the years. Like the open source movement is a great example of that. People are working on projects where someone is leading that project. Some of these projects turn into great, great brands. They turn into great businesses. But there's lots of talent all over the world contributing to them. And it doesn't matter where they are, who they are, their level. There's offer work to be done. Can it be done to a high quality? If people love it, great, get it done. And rewarded for that, recognition for that. You know, engineers love to say that they worked on a no-code or MongoDB or a product that now everyone in the world uses. They like to say, yeah, I helped build that. You see more and more of this. As you say, I think more and keep seeing this pattern again and again is that nobody wants to work for just one company. They want to go after intellectual curiosity, projects that excite them. I see that we'll have more of this portfolio type career where there's lots of initiatives that you'll get to work on. You'll contribute a little bit. You'll build a portfolio essentially of types of work that you like to do or types of companies that you get to work with. And for me, it sort of breaks up this model of like in the factory for 40 hours a week working on one thing. I think you're going to have people being part of 10, 15 side hustles that they actually can create income streams and revenue from that allows them to go after their creative pursuits. And really, you just need a way to connect that talent to interesting missions, whether it's a Coke mission, whether it's a Ford mission, whether it's a small project. Nobody Studios, that's our whole point, is that people know we're building 100 companies in the next five years. There's no way we can do it on our own. So let's tell the world what are the type of missions and products that we're trying to build and then let that talent come and contribute to building those companies and own a piece of those companies. That is a really powerful way for people to be entrepreneurial, to explore new ideas and the talent that we can then attract. It's sort of undefeatable because if, if you're an owner or own a small part in the studio, where are you going to bring your ideas? Are you going to bring them to the studio to keep working on them in there and keep creating with a great group of people? And to me, that's like a, a fascinating shift in the way we work, the innovation of how we work. It's not just one company anymore. It's all these initiatives that excite you, that light you up, that you, the future you believe in and want to see in the world and you can go build it. For me, that's the most fascinating part, I think, of what we're looking at ahead. I agree. And if we look at the the world at large and how we've worked over the last 20, 30 years, certainly in my career, things have naturally held us all back. Technology has been the one thing that's, that's taken all our lives. But, you know, when you think about, well, you need job security. Oh, I need a mortgage. You know, I need to pay for the car. All those material things require, well, are you employed? What's your income? Those have been almost barriers to gaining those things in life that as we grow into adults and families, that we need those things around us. The shift will be when maybe some of those major expenses, household expenses, we're allowed to still access them, but in a more fluid, dynamic, work on 15 projects, not be employed by one company. And I'm looking forward to when that actually starts to seep back into kind of mainstream society in that sense, that means we're not, we don't have to be necessarily. Now, some people do want to stay with one organization and we've all done that. I've done that. And that's highly 
credible and that's okay too. I think what we're saying is there can be options in the future on how we work. We're not looking for a full pendulum swing that everybody, but it does provide this playing field for people to also like to go from project to project. I just went to the movies early this evening with my son to watch Doctor Strange and we stayed, the movie's great, but we stayed all the way to the end and and I watched the entire credits all the way up. There must have been a thousand or more people. And I pick out a name as it's going up and I wonder what else is she working on? Whether it's visual effects, she's part of the insurance team, the catering team, the legal team, everybody's in there. And I just kind of, in my own mind, think, what is he or she? What other movie are they working on? I bet they're working on more than one movie. And I actually think that's really exciting for those guys as individuals, but as a way of working tomorrow across any industry. It's a nice little anecdote to challenge our thinking. Looking forward now, you're starting to explore how to, like you've been working on Known Unknown now for the last couple of years. You're starting to iterate it, I'm sure. And what are some of the breakthroughs or the shifts in your thinking that you're starting to experience from when you sort of envisaged this vision and now you're getting into the reality of bringing it to life? What are some of the fun things that you're working out at the moment? A marketeer, a creative, I love brands. Storytelling is at the heart of everything we most of us have done since we were kids, but really storytelling in a sort of brand communication sense. I'm really excited by how brands will look to tell their stories in this new world. Now we're seeing the, the surge of NFTs and we're tiptoeing into this and maybe some meta experiments. I'm really excited in the next decade, one, to be a designer, two, for the next generation of designers that are coming through school, that they have a great opportunity to shine, but also for brands and how they will show up in this new world. Now, we all know that there's an ice cold Coca-Cola, if we keep going back to that, as an organization that we can physically touch, we get a sensation from that. We pour it, we hear it, we see the fizz and we taste it. Okay, that's great. We know that. But how can that same experience show up in a future state where maybe not actually there physically, but we have to take the same story, the, the same narrative, the same experience away? I think that's a fantastic creative brief that many, many thousands of people are thinking and working on right now. But that just shows that the next decade is going to be planet, the creators on the planet. And that don't mean necessarily influencers, could be, but more those people who are thinking creatively about how we can all show up, how brands can show up. And I'm excited by that and building that community within Known Unknown that will allow anybody, any brand to be able to tap into what I would consider to be the world's greatest talent. It's extremely exciting. You know, I think some of the most interesting parts about, especially for creatives, is that everything they can create, it can be audited and they can be owned and it can be attributed to them. That is a very exciting thing where people who create these things can be recognized and rewarded for it and reuse and all of these things about intellectual property that were actually really hard to manage can be digitized. And that is going to be really, really fascinating, I think, for me, is to see people who really, really do the building are going to be rewarded and recognized for that. And I'm looking forward to that, just to see the explosion then of where 
people can really connect with individuals to build something amazing for huge brands that they may never have had the opportunity before because their work can be recognized and traced back to some individual who might live in a lake, India, and has played Minecraft for most of her life and then started sketching and drawing these things. And then suddenly it can be pulled from that sort of global world and just elevated by some amazing brand that more people know and, and recognize for it. Like that is a very, very exciting moment, I think, for many people. And I think it will only inspire more people to start creating, to start building, to start contributing to the future that's ahead of us. And the old interview back in our day was, well, what experience do you have? It's like, I, I would say, what experience do you not have that would bring something new into this category? So I'm, you know, I'm not from the world of fashion design. I have a very different design channel. But if I was in a room with people who really understood fashion, how to stitch, how to create, how to cut cloth, or really what a garment, I would love to be in a room with five, six people who understand that category more than me. That doesn't mean to say I'm not allowed in that conversation. And I know nothing about fashion design. But bringing people, it's a bit like the Northern Yorkshireman going into Coca-Cola, bringing people from the outside into a new conversation can spike it in a way that can create some goodness. So I'm excited by that. And that old question of how much experience do you have just goes away because we're actually not looking for experience. We're looking for inexperience, naivety, and almost this kind of like the blinkers have gone. And we're, to your point on the whole theory of this is we're unlearning because we don't understand how it should be. We just have ideas of what it could be. Yeah, no, I love it. I couldn't end it on a better point than that, James. So thanks very much for coming on the show and sharing some of your own experience, lessons learned and the direction of travel. It's fascinating what you're on. I'm looking forward to seeing where Known Unknown goes and many of the other initiatives I'm sure that are ahead of you. Awesome. Thanks, Barry. I appreciate it, mate.